Welcome to the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. This is Trevor. I'm here with Paul. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing well, yeah. Beginning of summer, starting to, you know, enjoy the, the nice weather and read outside a little bit, so everything's going well. Oh, how has the weather been in your part of Colorado? It's been really nice. We've had a really nice spring, lots of moisture, which is, you know, always something we're welcoming here in Colorado. But then I will say the last week or so, it is definitely heating up, which I have mixed feelings about, but, you know, it's just part of the deal, I guess. It's supposed to be in the hundreds this week for us in Utah, which is very unseasonal. This is not a um, like regular occurrence. I'm, I'm fortunately leaving this week. This I, I leave today to go on a vacation to um, some lake uh, that is around here, but it's in a much cooler area. Oh, so it'll be nice. Yeah. But uh, we we've been tending to skip spring lately. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I hope that's. I have a bad feeling that might be the the new way things are going but yeah we're doing the same thing so i've been trying to take advantage and we have some nice shade trees in the backyard nice. in the hammock so you know i've been doing some reading outside but maybe not right at the peak of the heat <laughs> <laughs> no that is that is nice we've, we've got a little area out there that's shady from morning until night it just happens um, to be and yeah it's beautiful it's wonderful yeah. to go out and sit and read yeah i do love that well so here we are uh, again to talk about books and reading and today and, and we'll we'll get into the what are you reading, but I thought let, let's let listeners know what, what they're in for. Yeah. We're going to be talking about great openings to us. And I'll, I'll ask you here in a second what that means to you, you know, what, what criteria you used to uh, figure out what you wanted to list. But I guess before we get there, what have you been reading? Yeah. So, you know, I noticed the last month or so, kind of uncharacteristically for me, I've been reading a lot of pretty short books mm-hmm. and a lot of them were relatively new, you know, published within the last couple of years. And it's been really fun to do that. And I think a lot of that's probably the influence of all those dangerous people on Twitter who have so many great book (laughs) recommendations. Um, But I, you know, it's been a while since I've read a classic and I also was kind of intrigued to read something big because it's been a while, you know, since I've read any big books. And so I decided to dive right in and I've been reading uh, The Magic Mountain by Thomas Mann. Um, I don't know if you've ever read it. It's I haven't. Yeah. So, you know, it's something I've been considering. I've been eyeing him kind of warily from afar for a while now. Um, <laughs> you know, Buden Brooks is one that comes up a lot and I have that one sitting on the shelf. But for some reason, the Magic Mountain kept calling to me. And, you know, basically it's um, a sanatorium up in the Swiss Alps. And this man goes to visit his cousin up there. And it's supposed to be a three week stay where he's just kind of checking in with him. But there's something very interesting about this place where you know, I still haven't gotten a full grasp of what's going on, but everybody who goes there seems to stick around for a long time. And it, it's almost like this community of, you know, where illness is viewed in a way where it's almost kind of, I don't know, like I said, I'm still working my way through it, but long story short, he ends up staying much longer than three weeks. And so it has some of the appeal of like, you know, some of those um, books where from like the 1800s and 1900s, Henry James and some of those where, you know, they go on tour in Europe and they stay at like these really nice hotels just for months. And there's like mm-hmm. this community that forms. It kind of feels like that, but with this interesting um, overlay of, of this illness. And um, so anyway, it's very fascinating so far. I'm, it's a huge, huge one. It's like, you know, 700 plus pages. So I'm kind of just making my way slowly through it and enjoying it. How about you? What are you reading? So I am, I'm going to do a, a couple 
okay. uh, of rec- uh, kind of on uh, authors actually. So uh, Vintage and Harper have been re-releasing uh, books by Laurie Colwyn, um, who's an author that I didn't, I don't even know if I'd ever heard her name really. I probably had because I've heard of like one of her books is Home Cooking, kind of a non-fiction book that she wrote. Um, and then she, after she died, they came out with a book called More Home Cooking. And I'd heard of those just kind of, you know, batted around a little bit. Right. But when these, they're being reissued in, in um, England as well. And John Self posted a photo or, or something like that. And I thought, oh, who's this Laurie Colwyn? That is this a new author? No, she's, she, oh, she died in the early 90s um, after a really uh, kind of delightful but also quite short career. She died fairly young and her book is perfect for how I'm feeling right now. Just the summertime. They're like a nice summer breeze. They, I, I don't want it to sound like they are airy and, and nothing's going on because there, there certainly is, but there's a warmth to them. Mm. Uh, just, to, the, the one, the one that I started with is one called happy all the time. And I'll just say, you know, anyone who's who's interested in a fairly short, fairly quick, uh, very interesting, you know, uh, kind of qu- not quirky because that gives it the wrong sense as well, uh, but just really well thought out uh, book about relationships. I would say go for it. It's two two men, and you know they're in their their early thirties, and they think, oh, we're set up it's probably time for us to, to get married, you know, to, to find a wife. And it's about them finding their wives. It, it sounds, man, I'm doing a terrible job here, but, <laughs> but it, they, they both find relationships that, you know, they do fall in love. It's, it's genuine. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not cynical. Um, but with these different people who, who also are trying to understand what it means to fall in love and to have your life kind of changed and, yeah. and, uh, redirected. And it, it's, I, I, I thought it was just really, really nice. And I hear it's not her best. Um, so I've got, I've got all of those sitting, sitting there that I've been working my way through. Nice. And then the other author is Brandon Sanderson. Um, I, I, so he writes fantasy and he, he mm-hmm. has some science fiction series. He's got a, you know, YA, he's got some middle grade books and things like that. In fact, if you go and just type in what is Brandon Sanderson wrote, what, what has he written? You, you would uh, never know where to begin. It's like Joyce Carol Oates kind of stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, how do you even have the time of day to, to, to write this, let alone read it? Um, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. Uh, but I, I, I actually knew Brandon just barely um, when we were both in college. We were both in graduate school together. Oh, wow. And he wasn't like one of my, my great friends, but I talked to him every once in a while because we had carols that were kind of next to each other. And I was there when he signed to, for his debut novel to be published. It wasn't the first one he wrote, but um, his you know first one that he got sold to Tor called Elantris. And I was like, oh, congratulations. That's so cool. You know, way to go. And I never read it. Um, and oh, it was wow. like a decade later that I finally, you know, uh, everyone's reading Brandon Sanderson mm-hmm. all of a sudden. He's got Including a billion books sons. out. Right. Yeah. And so I, I started to look into it. And yeah, it was a little bit overwhelming for choice. Um, but I've been going through those and really enjoying his books. Um, he's got this universe called the Cosmere. And this, the last few weeks I've been reading the novellas that take place in that, in that universe. And it's, yeah, they're they're very fun. 
Um, I used to read fantasy as, uh, you know, a youth. We've talked about that. Probably someday we should do a show on yeah, our, our B Dalton fantasy, um, you know, searches. But I hadn't read much of this for a long time and I am finding it really nice and refreshing and fun and just re- very enjoyable. So yeah, that sounds I'll, great. I, I need to explore him a little bit. Cause like I said, um, I've, I've seen him and, I can't say that I read as much fantasy. I definitely not as much as I used to and even not very much period, but both of my sons have really been loving his books. My eldest son who's 16 just finished reading. He has kind of like you mentioned a YA sci-fi. I think it was two books and they were both pretty big, you know, chunky books. And he was tearing through those things over the last week or so. Yeah. And then my youngest is, I think I might've mentioned, I know I've mentioned it to you is really loving the evil librarians Uh series by him. So, yeah. yeah, he's he's very prolific and he has somebody seemingly some something for everybody. Well, and just so you know, so in the one that it sounds like your oldest son was reading, it's probably the Skyward series. Yeah, exactly. The the third one comes out in November and the Alcatraz and the Evil Librarians book, the sixth one comes out next year or something like Ooh. that. It's already done. I mean, the guy's just like, oh, yeah, I, I, I finished that one. The publisher will put it out when they put it out, you know. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. And then you see his, his like mainline fan epic fantasy and they're, these are massive um, books that, that still manage to, I I get through them. I mean, they're, 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 they're fun, you know, but, but at any rate, so it's a, it's kind of a, it's an old world for me because it's what I grew up with, but it's new to me again. Mm -hmm. And it's been a lot of fun to, to get into them. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you're reading much more seasonally than I am because one of the <laughs> reviews I found for the Magic Mountain said it's the perfect winter book. And so I'm like, <laughs> you know, my schedule must be off, but I'm still enjoying it. No, that's great. Um, and Susan Bernofsky is translating a new, uh, well, doing a new translation of the Magic Mountain because I was looking into maybe reading it too um, over the summer, but when I saw that she was working on it, I thought, eh, I can hold off a, a little bit longer, maybe. I know. It's that classic, you know, the more you know, the co- more complicated things get because I was so excited to start it. And then I saw that and I had this moment. I've, I've owned this little, you know, copy, this penguin copy. And it's one of the older translations. I can't remember the translator's name, but, you know, I've owned it forever. And I finally got excited to read it. And then I saw that and I had that moment of doubt. Maybe I should hold off. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go for it. So maybe no, it's time. Maybe I'll just reread it in her translation one of these days. I think that'd be fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I almost went out and bought it. Eric Gouda on t- Twitter, who who did some of the some work on the the um, Natalia Ginsburg forwards uh, for mm-hmm. NYRB Classics, uh, talked me up on on Thomas Mann and recommended it. But then that's when I found out, oh, Susan Bernofsky's working on it. I can. That's that's an excuse not to start this big gigantic book. <laughs> exactly, it's made it a couple hundred years without you so far. It can hold out for another year. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, Paul. We've been hyping this up for some time. I've been really excited because it is time to announce the winner of our first giveaway. We are giving away a copy of. Shiela Skiltson's book of short stories, uh, Everything Like Before. Both of us have, have talked about it on the podcast. You've talked about it on Sean the Book Maniac's YouTube channel. And here we are about to give it away to our very first winner. Yeah, very exciting. I'm wondering if you want to do the honors here. I will pull a name out of the hat and you can go ahead and let us know who it is. Sounds good. 
Give me one second. I'll reach right in here. And the winner is Dorian Stuber. Congratulations, Dorian. Dorian. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. We're thrilled for you. I know what a great reader you are, and I know you're going to love this collection. So we're very happy that it went to somebody we know, although we wanted to emphasize this was completely random. But yeah, it worked out Worked out great, and congratulations, Dorian. Yes, congratulations, Dorian. Uh, Dorian was the first person to enter the contest, and there weren't very many, which is, you know, fine. We, we knew that there there wouldn't be a ton. Hopefully it wasn't because the question was so difficult. So maybe we better go back to that. You know, I read a blurb from a book about Shakespeare having a sister and yada, yada, yada. And the answer for all of those of you who who were trying to figure it out and maybe didn't quite get there is Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. Uh, apparently, there is a book written in the 90s called Shakespeare's Sister. That certainly may... I did I did consider that as a potential uh, for, for winning, but because I've never heard it, I don't know if everything in that blurb lined up, but even that blurb for that book refers back to Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own, the the famous instance of Shakespeare's got a sister who's just as much a genius as he is, but she doesn't get to do anything with it. So, Well, if it makes, not that anybody needs to feel bad, but if it makes anybody feel better too, I would not have gotten it, so... <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations, Dorian. We're looking forward to sending that book your way. I'll reach out to you and get your address and send it over. Paul, we've got one more little matter of business that I wanted to take care of today, and that is the Patreon. I do want to remind listeners we have a Patreon where we release these shows a few days earlier than usual, and we are working on bonus episodes, though those are not coming out quite yet. But we we very much appreciate those who donate to the show that way. It really helps this keep going, not because I think you and I would stop, but it gives us the flexibility for the hosting fees, things like that, that we need mm-hmm. to take care of on our end. It's very nice. And we have a couple of uh, brand new patrons. I wanted yeah, to exciting. thank Matt Duff and Benjamin O'Connell uh, for their donations. Matt Duff signed up at the Slaughterhouse 5 level. Thank you so much, Matt. We're we're on on top of getting together a bookish uh, surprise treat package for you. And Ben, thank you so much. You signed up on the 100 Years of Solitude level. Ah. So we've got not only the the book the bookish treat package, but we, we're sending him a copy of one of our favorite books. So that's uh, very much appreciated. Thanks so much to those of you who have signed up on Patreon. And uh, if any of the rest of you are interested, it does help. But of course, we just love talking and getting together. So any way that you support the show by listening or sharing is wonderful for us. And I'll just say I love all the comments that we've been getting and all the likes and everything else. So yeah, there's a million ways to support us and all of them are very much appreciated. All right. Well, great openings in books you know and we're i think both of us may be on the same page we'll figure that out in a minute but i didn't necessarily mean like famous first lines you know mm-hmm. call me ishmael or it is a truth university acknowledge I me mean, th- those can be great um i thought let's do some of our the this the openings of books that let you know you're in good hands yeah. because you the writing is there the concepts are there. 
it's intriguing and kind of pulls you on. And that, that's how I, how I kind of put mine together. It couldn't just be a first line. Um, though that's part of it. I also limited it. So it wasn't just like a great scene, you know, it had to again be just a a little bit that everything just kind of clicked, you know, again, Mm -hmm. you just knew you were in good hands and about to embark on, on a good story. And, and when I was putting mine together, it had to be one I remembered, Uh, You know, specifically had a memory of me reading it and thinking, oh, Mm -hmm. I might should put this down and save it for when, you know, for a special day. This this is going to be great. So what about you? How did you put together your your list of great? Yeah, I would I would say we have, you know, not surprisingly a lot in common in the way we looked at it. To me, it's that idea, like you said, for one thing, it just grabs you immediately for whatever reason. Maybe it's the pros. I mean, with me, it usually is the pros. But there's other factors. I also like when it kind of gives, you know, not a literal preview of what the book will be like, mm-hmm. but you very quickly get an idea. Like you said, you're in good hands and it often will lay out kind of a very um, broad map of, of what this book is going to be like, you know, at least to some degree. And so I was noticing through the different ones that I picked, there were different styles. Like some of them were more of a description. Some of them were more of a first person. So there's a lot of different ways it can go. But yeah, to me, it, it grabs you. The, the beauty of the language. And I will say that I agree. I tried to make sure I didn't just stick with like the classic well-known opening paragraphs, mm-hmm. but I will warn you, there are a couple that will, uh, that will appear on a lot of those lists. And, but I will argue why, you know, I mean, not that it needs my argument, but I mean, sometimes just great is great. So yeah. Yeah. There's a reason they're, they're memorable. Exactly. Uh, whew, all right. I'll let you go first, Paul. Okay. Well, I'll start off since you mentioned it. I mean, this is a bit of a cliche, but, this is one where it's just like, what else are you going to say? You know, Moby Dick, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. And I won't read the whole thing because it's been, you know, everybody knows it. But I think I've told you before, one of my favorite sections of the opening paragraphs, I think it's interesting because it's dark, that, that, that opening to Moby Dick in a lot of ways. But it also shows the humor of what he's going to be doing, which I think is some, sometimes overlooked with Melville. So the, the section I like is, whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off, then I account it high time to get to the sea as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. And that part, like it is dark because he's following, you know, funeral processions and everything. But I love that, like that urge to just go out and knock people's hats off. Like we've all been there. Like you're stuck in the middle of the city or rush hour. Or you're having a bad week and you just, you know, irrationally want to take it out on somebody. And so anyway, you know, I think I probably will mention Moby Dick probably in every episode we ever do. But, I, you know, to me, that opening paragraph, it, it's complex, but it's still very accessible and readable. It's funny. It's dark. I mean, it just it, mm-hmm. it encapsulates so much of what that book ends up being about that I just like I said, I think there's a reason, obviously, that it's brought up so often. So uh, I'm 100 percent with you. Of course, call me Ishmael. Famous mm-hmm. first lines. But why? I don't know. It's just that doesn't tell me anything, you know, about the book. And when I sat down to read Moby Dick and read that first paragraph, I remember, like you, just thinking, holy cow, there is so much going on here. And Ishmael it has has a dark soul, but also yeah. a funny one. You know, it is yeah. funny, but it's suicidal in a way. You know, he's he's going to sea in order to escape because it's 
you know, maybe the next best thing to, to just ending his life in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it is, it is a fantastic first paragraph and I, I, I would, it's an honorable mention for me, not because my five that I chose are better per se, but because I couldn't find my copy. And as I was looking for it, I actually thought, I bet this is on Paul's list. I won't have to. I won't have to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I got you covered. No worries. Yeah. But yeah, no. Like you said, I, I remember clearly the first time I read it, and it was in one of those nice Easton Press leather-bound volumes mm. that um, my parents-in-law had. And I picked it up, and I was just, you know, Moby Dick. You know, it is always around. But I was like, oh, you know, I'll just pick it up and start reading. And I started reading that, and I was like, okay, this is more than I ever thought it could be. Even though, like. Like you said, a lot of times you just hear those first call me Ishmael and that's kind of all you hear mm -hmm. just to see that there's so much more there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, I will go on with my, and I didn't, I didn't, I just have a stack here. These are not ordered yeah. in, in any, any way, but I'm going to start with Anita Bruckner and mm -hmm. uh, her book, a start in life, or it's something else in America. I can't remember right now what they called it here. Something that, the debut, I believe, even, you know, but it's yeah. her first novel. And it starts, Dr. Weiss, at 40, knew that her life had been ruined by literature. In her thoughtful and academic way, she put it down to her faulty moral education, which dictated, through the conflicting, but in this one instance, united agencies of her mother and father, that she ponder the careers of Anna Karenina and Emma Bovary, but that she emulate those of David Copperfield and Little Dorrit. But really, it had started much earlier than that, when, at an unremembered moment in her extreme infancy, she had fallen asleep, enraptured, as her nurse breathed the words, Cinderella shall go to the ball. The ball had never materialized. <laughs> oh, wow. I so love good. this book. And I, I love Bruckner. Um, I probably could have picked a number of hers. Uh, but this is one that I specifically remembered as really pulling me in. You know, life being ruined by these, you know, these stories that you tell yourself that you think tell you what your life should or shouldn't be. And, you know, these fantasies almost for her, the Cinderella story and going to the ball and finding somebody. Um, but yeah, just a fantastic opening to a, a one of the best debut novels I've ever read. I mean, it's one of my favorite novels. I, I love A Start in Life uh, regardless. But when you consider that uh, Bruckner sat down one summer and was like, eh, I think I'll write a book this summer. Yeah, and, and, and that's, did that every summer for the rest of her life, yeah, essentially. <laughs> and to think that's like some of the first paragraphs you ever put down in print. I mean, talk about starting strong. Right. And I think from what she said, now, I don't know specifically on this one, um, but she would just sit down and write and hope that it turned out well and then go on to the next chapter the next day. I mean, wow. she she was she was a brilliant um, writer and a brilliant mind. Um, and these books are fairly sad, you know, because they are. That uh, they they do a lot of times deal with um, characters whose dreams have not come to fruition, yeah. but there's still a lot of warmth and love in them. I find so. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I need no, to start in life. Yeah, <laughs> I've not read that one. I've read a few of hers now, and I keep every time I see one of her books, I just pick it up because I based on the few that I've read and how well recommended she comes from so many people I trust. You know, it's one of those where you just feel safe buying everyone and knowing yeah. that eventually it'll be there waiting for you. Someday she's, I think there are 26 novels wow. and yeah, that she's one that I'm like, well, that's a lot. I'm excited to have read them all. You know, well, I'm excited correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't she start writing fairly mm -hmm. late in life? Like, wasn't she maybe in her, I don't know, forties or, or is that not right? I want to say, 
I want to say she was about 60. She, um, oh, wow. Uh, and, and then I might be mid fifties or, or, yeah. or 60. Um, she, she had had a career and a very mm. happy career. She considered writing novels as just kind of an appendage at the end, um, to, to again, uh, occupy her in, in her summer months when, when she wasn't teaching at the art Institute. And, I think she always considered herself an art institute, you know, an art historian and, and those things as, as her primary career, her primary success, her primary joy. And then she wrote a little bit on the side, but thankfully for us, you know, that she did that too. Yeah. Well, between her and Brandon Sanderson, I'm starting to wonder what I'm doing with my life. These people are, you know, I know. pumping out all these great books. I know. Let's see, this week I took a nap on the hammock instead of read, you know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy. All okay, right. well, yeah, my second book is another one of my all-time favorite books, uh, Light Years by James Salton. Mm. And this is one where, again, the opening paragraph does, in many ways, kind of encapsulate a lot of what goes on. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and start off, and then we can talk about it. But we dash the Black River, its flats smooth as stone. Not a ship, not a dinghy, not one cry of white. The water lies broken, cracked from the wind. This great estuary is wide, endless. The river is is brackish, blue with the cold. It passes beneath us, blurring. The seabirds hang above it. They wheel, disappear. We flash the wide river, a dream of the past. The deeps fall behind. The bottom is paling the surface. We rush by the shadows. Boats beached for winter, desolate piers. And on wings like the gulls, soar up, turn, look back. So that one, I mean, you know, it's not one that that has like a a strong narrative drive opening, but it's almost like poetry. Um, And in a lot of ways, that does encapsulate a lot of this book in particular with James Salter. Um, This book has some of the most beautiful sentences, just, you know, word by word that I've ever read in my life. And what I like about that opening is not only does it capture you with just that, I mean, anybody who loves language, that blows them away, but... But also you can start to read once you've read the book. There's a lot of sadness in that, a lot of memory, you know, and that idea of the river rushing by, you know, I think there's a lot about time in there. Um, And so, you know, it's one of those where when you're first reading it, you may or may not pick up on some of that. But having read that book now a couple of times, when I read that opening paragraph again, you know, you can start to see what he was doing there. So, yeah, I mean, I've had varying degrees of success with his books, but that one and that opening paragraph in particular, like, it's one of the strongest reading memories that I have. Nice. I, it's been a long time since I read that one, but I, and I don't remember the beginning, you know, that's mm-hmm. one where I wouldn't remember that, but I remember so many impressions. It's kind of, it's almost like a, a dream yeah. um, that I remember, you know, kind of a, a phase of my, of my life that's become more of a dream, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just that book. It's reading that book. It's so, it's so good. And I think it I is. remember it being so impressionistic and, um, but it's been a long time. I need to go back and reread it. Cause even as you read that first bit, I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. And it yeah. does bring back feelings. <laughs> I know there's a section in there. I don't remember. It's not very far in maybe 20, 20 pages or so where he's talking about his children growing up and reading to them and all that. And it, it's one of the most beautiful, but also kind of heartbreaking passages I've read about parenthood. So maybe I'll cover that, mm. bring it up in another episode sometime. But yeah, there's certain passages from that book that have just stuck with me for years and years. And that's, you know, always, always a good sign. 
Well, let me go to a lighter fare <laughs> for my next book. Uh, speaking of reading fantasies and various things like that, uh, one that I picked out is uh, an author that I brought up already on the podcast uh, that I'm just really loving and that I, I'm about to start the series with my kids to read it to them. It's it's Jonathan Stroud's Lockwood & Co. Mm-hmm. And it's book one, The Screaming Staircase. And I this is one, again... My wife had read these and said, oh, you might like them. And I read the first paragraph and thought, oh, I'm going to love this. And I do. So let me let me read it. I don't know if, it's, if it sticks out to everybody else, um, but here it is. It's being narrated by a young woman. Um, she's, you know, probably 14 or so because only young kids can see the ghosts that are that are haunting London and the, the surrounding areas. Uh, there's been an infestation of ghosts over the last 50 years or so. So even though these books take place in the 2000s, technology kind of stopped in the 50s or 60s. And so they're still living in this because now technology is built to try and help people not get killed by ghosts. Um, <laughs> but here's chapter one. Oh, and, and she, she's, in, she's one of these um, who investigates and has to go and contain ghosts because adults can't do it. Sounds kind of weird, but it sure works in the book. I mean, it, it's believable. It's got it's got all that weight. But of the first few hauntings I investigated with Lockwood and Co., I intend to say little, in part to protect the identity of the victims, in part because of the gruesome nature of the incidents, but mainly because, in a variety of ingenious ways, we succeeded in messing them all up. There, I've admitted it. Not a single one of those early cases ended as neatly as we'd have wished. Yes, the Mortlake Horror was driven out, but only as far as Richmond Park, where even now it stalks by night among the silent trees. Yes, both the gray specter of Aldgate and the entity known as the Clattering Bones were destroyed, but not before several further, and I now think unnecessary, deaths. And as for the creeping shadow that haunted young Mrs. Andrews, to the imperilment of her sanity and her hemline, wherever she may continue to wander in this world, poor thing, there it follows too. So it was not exactly an unblemished record that we took with us, Lockwood and I, when we walked up the path to 62 Sheen Road on that misty autumn afternoon and briskly rang the bell. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I think it's so fun. And it yeah. just really introduces this character and how uh, she's, she's, she's cynical. And I like the, not before several, and now I think unnecessary deaths. It's mm-hmm. just something, there's some humor to it. Absolutely. You will be hopefully happy to hear that I actually started listening to the audio of that um, oh. last week based on your recommendations. And you're right. It's so much fun. It has all of the kind of the fun and the world building of, you know, the Harry Potter series, mm-hmm. but it has like this different, I, I'm fascinated by, like you said, that angle of the ghosts having basically infested and kind of, you know, it's, it's one of those interesting things where there's, a lot of familiarity to the setting, but it has all these interesting, you know, the ghosts and, and these whole organizations that have been set up to kind of, you know, work and capture them. And uh-huh. it's, yeah, it's really good. And I think I've told you, yeah, my um, oldest son read through that series really quickly. So yeah, really, really good stuff. Well, I'm excited. My wife has been reading Harry Potter to my boys and they finished book seven last night. Uh, so it's my turn now with the, the Lockwood and Co. That's awesome. I think that'll be a great transition because they're very different, but they do have enough in common. Um, Just that magical. Yeah. um, And and the, the, 
detail that's put into the world building that just makes it so well done. Like in lesser hands, it could have been a flop, either one of them, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Nope. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, I've thought about Harry Potter quite often as I read these because not, I, I love Harry Potter. Uh, but I, I sat and wondered as I read these, why aren't these bigger? You know, how does one become big and another not? And there, I think there are various reasons. And Lockwood and Co. is five books, and the world is is pretty uh, amazing and well built. It's not nearly as big, um, you know, as as the Harry Potter world. And um, but yeah, I agree with you. There's just some some great skill, and doing it for for children in a way that keeps them in, uh, uh, you know, excited. Mm-hmm. but that still provides that richness. I just, I think that they're, you know, two great examples of how to tell exciting stories, you know, Absolutely. whether you think yeah. they're literature or not, and maybe someday we'll get into to a conversation on that. You know, there's, yeah. there's some amazing skill going on to be able to do that. And Absolutely. I love them. Love them. <laughs> yeah. No, they're really good. I'll, I'll keep you updated on my progress. Sounds but, yeah. good. Sounds love good. So far. Well, my, Next choice is, again, not going to, it's one that pops up pretty often on lists, but again, there's a reason. And the reason that it came top to, top of mind to me is actually, we still, you know, read with both of our sons, even though they're in their teens, it's become like this mm-hmm. nightly tradition where my wife and I will trade off reading to the different ones. And um, we are currently reading Rebecca by Daphne uh-huh. to my eldest. And just reading that again out loud, I think to him made me reappreciate again how just how good this opening is so i'll just i'm not going to read the whole thing because it goes on for a couple pages but i might just skip around a little bit um last night i dreamt i went to manderley again it seemed to me i stood by the iron gate leading to the drive and for a while i could not enter for the way was barred to me there was a padlock and a chain upon the gate i called in my dream to the lodge keeper and had no answer and peering closer through the rusted spokes of the gate i saw that the lodge was uninhabited No smoke from the chimney, and the little lattice windows gaped forlorn. Then, like all dreamers, I was possessed of a sudden... I was possessed of a sudden with supernatural powers and passed like a spirit through the barrier before me. The drive wound away in front of me, twisting and turning as it had always done. But as I advanced, I was aware that a change had come upon it. It was narrow and unkept, not the drive that we had known. At first I was puzzled and did not understand and it was only when I bent my head to avoid the low swinging branches of a tree that I realized what had happened. Nature had come into her own again, and little by little, in her stealthy, insidious way, had encroached upon the drive with long, tenacious fingers. So then she kind of just drifts along the drive, you know, up there, and, you know, goes on for a couple paragraphs with just these wonderful descriptions of all of nature encroaching on the driveway and the the grounds. And then near the end of that section, there was Manderley, our Manderley, secretive and silent as it had always been, the gray stone shining in the moonlight of my dream, the mullioned windows reflecting the green lawns and the terrace. Time could not wreck the perfect symmetry of those walls, not the site itself, a jewel in the hollow of a hand. And so, whew, I mean, again, the, the writing itself is beautiful. It involves some of the nature writing that I really like, but also just that whole, you know, at that point, you don't know exactly what's going to be going on in this book, but you get that feeling that there's, you know, something, a mystery, some supernatural elements, some... It's haunting. You know, it's, it's haunting. Yeah. Exactly. She's haunting Manderley and it's haunting her. I, Yeah, I, I've never read Rebecca, 
but I, you know, I've seen the Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. uh, version several times, and my wife loved Rebecca when she read it. It came to mind for me because of the the great first line, yeah. but I didn't know how much more it went through. So that's that's exciting. I I've been meaning to read some Daphne du Maurier soon, and so that might be the one I start with. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. And it's kind of like you said, like with Moby Dick, where often you'll hear the first line. Last night I went to Manderley, but mm-hmm. like you said, if you if you read on a little bit more, it's not like it stops right there. You know, that, that whole opening paragraph is, is just wonderful. And yeah, I would think you would really like it. So you'll have to let me know if you end up reading that one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, it's either that or My Cousin Rachel. I don't know. Have you read that one? I haven't read that one. No, oh, I need yeah. to read more Demory. I've read this one now a couple times, but I need to branch out a little bit because I know she has. The, is it MYRB that has put out a collection from her? Uh, yeah, the Don't Look uh, Don't Look Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I need to need to spread my wings a little bit and explore. All right, my next one uh, is also one that I think comes up on these lists. Uh, it's uh, Dodie Smith's "I Capture the Castle." Mm-hmm. And boy, again, just the voice, just the, the tone. And here it is. Again, narrated by a young woman. Apparently, apparently that's where we're going with a few of these books. And that's awesome. <laughs> There's a theme. Yeah, excellent. Uh, here she goes. She says, I write this sitting in the kitchen sink. That is, my feet are in it. The rest of me is on the draining board, which I have padded with our dog's blanket and the tea cozy. I can't say that I am really comfortable, and there is a depressing smell of carbolic soap, but this is the only part of the kitchen where there's any daylight left, and I have found that sitting in a place where you have never sat before can be inspiring. I wrote my very best poem while sitting on the hen house, though even that isn't a very good poem. I have decided my poetry is so bad that I mustn't write any more of it. And it goes on, you know, it's just her writing and... uh, getting getting to know this character and her world and the people that come and go from the room around her. It's just a, a wonderful opening that, that really um, draws you in, I think. So I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. Uh, again, I think a lot of people start with or have read the, I said, I, I write this sitting in the kitchen sink and mm-hmm. that's where it stops. But it, it just, you know, that, that fun opening line keeps developing into a really great, uh, story yeah no i like it i had i only read that one as an adult i, I kind of wish i had read it huh. you know when i was younger because i'm sure there's some of those books that make such a huge impression on you when you're younger you know there's like that special magic of reading something when you're younger but even mm-hmm. reading it as a as an adult i still really loved her and that voice and yeah i really like the part i'm you know i'm not especially comfortable but this is kind of what i'm <laughs> gonna do here so yeah, yeah. And, and it's i don't know it, the the idea of new places to read and write that life of the mind just all kind of comes up there and speaks to folks like us. I think that, yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of carving out your little space, wherever it is, that's kind of your space. Like, you know, it could vary day to day or it could be this dedicated space, but just finding your own and, little spot in the world. And even that moment carving out your moment. I mean, the, I, I love that part of it because it's the only spot with any daylight left. And so she's, she's going to go and use that, that mm-hmm. passing moment to, to get this stuff down. I, I love that sense of space and time and light that comes out in such a fun opening. It's again, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to switch us back to uh, not necessarily darker, but um, 
<laughs> I got another classic on my list here. So we've talked about this one off, offline before, but Bleak House by Charles Dickens. Um, I'm not going to start at the very beginning. There's a whole paragraph that's very good, but this famous fog passage um, that a lot of people have brought up, to me, it's just one of the most well-done introductions to a novel that I've ever read. So I'll just, again, I'm going to have to skip around because it's pretty long and I could go on forever, but fog everywhere. Fog up the river where it flows among green eights and meadows. Fog down the river where it rolls defiled among the tiers of shipping and the waterside pollutions of a great and dirty city. Fog on the Essex marshes. Fog on the Kentish heights. Fog creeping into the cabooses of collier brigs. Fog lying out in the yards and hovering in the rigging of great ships. Fog drooping on the gunwales of barges and small boats. Fog in the eyes and throats of ancient Greenwich pensioners wheezing by the firesides of their wards, fog in the stem and bowl of the afternoon pipe of the wrathful skipper, down in his close cabin, fog cruelly pinching the toes and fingers of his shivering little prentice boy on deck, chance people on the bridges, peering over the parapets into a nether sky of fog, with fog all round them, as if they were up in a balloon and hanging in the misty clouds. And it goes on, you know, unsurprisingly for Dickens, I mean, for a couple <laughs> pages talking about that. But to me, there's so many things to love about it. Um, part of it is just what a great way as this fog is kind of flowing through the city over the next few pages. It kind of goes into all these different alleyways and it goes into the high courts and it goes into the river. And, you know, it's like this great way of just laying out the setting, introducing some of the different characters. As always, he uses it to kind of expose some of the social issues with London, you know, goes into the poor parts of the country, of the city, of some of the rich parts. And then also, as you read that book further on, it's all about this really complicated legal case that impacts the whole, you know, that doesn't impact the whole city, but it spreads across the whole city. And so I think it also kind of nicely shows that whole idea of huh. just the obscurity of the law and, you know, the murkiness of it and, and all of that. So anyway, I don't know, it's just, to me, it's, it's one of the great opening passages for sure. That's pretty fascinating. I've never read Bleak House, as you as you know. <laughs> you've been, <laughs> One you've of these been days, encouraging. You. Well, yeah. um, you you've gotten me. Uh, I, I have two copies now of David Copperfield, because nice. um, that's the one I think you said I should. I think if, so. I, if I'm only going to read one more Dickens, I think you told me to read David Copperfield. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've read most of like the the ones that you read as a, it's you know a kid in school mm -hmm. and whatnot, and and always really liked him, but I think. I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes we, we shift in our tastes and our priorities. And I don't mean individually. I do mean like culturally, like mm -hmm. Dickens has a bad rap because he wrote long, you know, three or four pages on the fog. Yeah. Um, and, but why is that a bad thing? You know, I think sometimes we're like, well, I should just get to the story. We, you know, they get to the heart of the matter, you know, right. but I feel like that's just a different way of doing it. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to become a more open and broad uh, reader so that I can enjoy these things that, that should be enjoyed. And yeah, maybe I won't enjoy all of them. Uh, mm -hmm. but a lot of that has to do more with just what I, what I prioritize in, in my reading versus what anyone else does. But I feel like my mentality, everything's coming kind of shifting back to where I can, I can enjoy Dickens again. Um, yeah. I've been doing great expectations. That one I never had read before mm -hmm. and I love it. Oh, great. I am loving Great Expectations. I'm doing it very slowly, kind of like um, a book by book or, you know, volume by volume mm -hmm. um, with some breaks in between. Uh, and that's just 
more nature of what I, other things I want to be reading than because yeah, I want to stop mm-hmm. or anything. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy that I, and, and that was because of you too. So okay. well, that's exciting. I mean, I, I have a soft spot for Dickens. I always will. And yes, there are warts and all that stuff, but to be honest, there are times it, I have to be in the right mood, just like with any book. Yeah. But for there sure. are times where, you know, reading him in some ways, the warts, some of the, you know, super quirky characters, not that that's a word, but I mean, some of the things that people may or may not love about him, you know, the, the really silly characters sometimes, or the, like you said, passages of just what could be considered kind of just rambling. If you're in the right mood though, that stuff, if at least for me is, is part of the appeal. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like to go, like we talked about in a previous episode, just kind of going along for the ride and almost just letting it flow over you. And that's how I get when I'm in a good spot with Dickens is just, I know what I'm getting into and I I'm ready for it. And I just sit back and enjoy it. So I'm glad to hear you're, you're liking it. Yeah, very much so. Um, all right. Well, I spent all of my, uh, bright and, and shiny, uh, picks. I have two more and I don't even know which one to read, um, first because I, I thought, Oh, I should end on a happy note. That's not going to happen for me. Yeah. Um, but the, so I'll just go with the next one that was on my stack. It's, Javier Marias, A Heart So White, his great titles that most often come from Shakespeare, this one from Macbeth, and um, Lady Macbeth's speech to her husband that's kind of just mocking him and for, for feeling guilt and all of that, you know, uh, it's, it's a fantastic passage, and here's how the book begins in these long rambling sentences by Javier Marias. I did not want to know but I have since come to know that one of the girls, when she wasn't a girl anymore and hadn't long been back from her honeymoon, went into the bathroom, stood in front of the mirror, unbuttoned her blouse, took off her bra, and aimed her own father's gun at her heart. Her father, at the time, was in the dining room with the other members of the family and three guests. When they heard the shot, some five minutes after the girl had left the table, her father didn't get up at once, but stayed there for a few seconds, paralyzed, his mouth still full of food, not daring to chew or swallow, far less to spit the food out onto his plate. And when he finally did get up and run to the bathroom, those who followed him noticed that when he discovered the blood-spattered body of his daughter and clutched his head in his hands, he kept passing the mouthful of meat from one cheek to the other, still not knowing what to do with it. He was carrying his napkin in one hand, and he didn't let go of it until, after a few moments, he noticed the bra that had been flung into the bidet and he covered it with the one piece of cloth that he had to hand, or rather in his hand, and which his lips had sullied, as if he were more ashamed of the sight of her underwear than of her fallen half-naked body, with which, until only a short time before, the article of underwear had been in contact. The same body that had been sitting at the table, that had walked down the corridor, and that had stood there. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I don't even know what to say about it. Again, that's not a happy a happy start to any book, but it is this, it's intriguing to me because of the way it tells that little story Mm -hmm. because the narrator himself doesn't seem to prioritize the death of the girl or, you know, her, her shooting herself. He's focused on all these other parts too. You know, it's just, it's weird. It is is unsettling and focusing on the meat and these other details, the napkin, rather than this tragedy that has just occurred. Uh, and also, you know, the, the sense of time, like I, that where was the narrator? Who is the narrator? All, a lot of his books start with this kind of mystery of what, how does all of this connect? 
who is this girl that he knew apparently when she was young, but later on found out that this is what happened to her. You know, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, how is all this going to come together? And uh, Marius's books that are kind of digressive and rambling, and um, they, they often start with these these kinds of passages. I could have picked a number of them, I think, for for this for this list but this one this one's always stood out to me because of this the the shocking uh, opening yeah absolutely that's you know how we were talking about there's those huge gaps no matter how much time you spend reading and mm-hmm. learning about books there's those huge gaps you have and that he's one for me i have never read anything by him i actually just bought that book oh really within the last probably six months um so yeah that made me want to pick it up and read it right away i don't have you read um he has that trilogy, Your Face yeah, Tomorrow. Your Face Tomorrow. Yeah, have I that have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I may mean, have I'm been just... where I started, actually, with him. I, I think that when I first started to read him, the third book was coming out. Okay. And so I went and uh, – and at the time I was in New York, and I actually went to New Directions and talked with them. And I think they gave me the first couple volumes. And, oh, wow. And so I just started there and, yeah, kept kept on – kept on going and I've loved, I've loved the books that he's written since I um, he's got another one coming out. Well, it just came out in Spain mm-hmm. and so we should be getting a translation of it in a year or so. And I can't wait. I just can't, I can't wait. I think yeah. they're, they're brilliant. And uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I'm sold. That That's a great opening. So I think I'm going to have to move that one up the, up the list for sure. Uh, well, my last one, well, unsurprisingly, I'm starting to think I'm developing a, a reputation already early in this about all these dark books <laughs> that I'm reading, but I do like funny stuff too, I swear. But um, yeah, this one is another one that um, won't end us on a, a happy note by any means. Um, but, and again, it's, it's another pretty well-known one, but it's The Haunting of Hill House. Oh. And the interesting thing about this one is I, a lot of people love this book. I, I actually, I liked the book itself. Okay. But it yeah. didn't blow me away as a book, and I think of the of the whole list here, it's the only one of these where the, I feel like the opening passage is so strong that it's. I mean, even if I don't necessarily personally care for the rest of the book as much as I thought I would, like there's no denying that this is great stuff. So, no live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane stood by itself against the hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone. That's so spooky. And something about that Hill House not sane, that phrase mm-hmm. right there just kind of gives me the chills it's just you know I, I actually want to read that book again because i feel like with an opening that strong uh, clearly there's something that i missed because <laughs> there's no way i mean people love that book so much and i can see why based on that writing it's it's not one that i've read yet i have it and i've been meaning to for i think i bought it a decade ago you know mm-hmm. in the penguin classics edition um but i but i haven't read it yet so yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in, um, sound. And, and I've always, I think what happens is I'm always like, I'll save that for Halloween time. Exactly. And then it, you know, it was all of a sudden Christmas. And so mm-hmm. no, <laughs> I know. did the same thing. Yeah. I will say, you know, I was surprised cause there was a, a series that came out, a television mm-hmm. series that came out based on this. And I went into it very, very skeptical, um, and didn't really think, you know, like most 
book adaptations, or at least many that end up on screen, don't always go the way you'd like them to. But I will say that that, that version, the, the first season that was on there was really good. And there was one episode hmm. in particular about partway through the series that was maybe the most one of the most compelling hours of television I think I've ever seen. It was amazing. It's like a single shot for most of the episode. And it's just, it, it, I don't know, it, it hypnotized me. It was amazing. So I will just it, throw that on there. Is it pretty scary? It is. Yeah, it is. I, 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 mean, I, I like that. So I like finding scary, scary movies or scary stories that aren't um, that they're they're not scary because they're gross. They're scary yeah. because they're well done. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. It's like like you. I'm not necessarily like you know. I'm fine if there's some gore or whatever, but that's not usually what's scary mm-hmm. to me. Like one of the scariest movies I ever saw was. Um, the Blair Witch Project, which oh yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> since then, some people, you know, it got overplayed to the point where now it's kind of almost become like a parody and everything. But the first time I saw that in the theater, and there's not, there's, I guess there's a little bit of gore at one part, but for the most part, that's almost all psychological. And that was like one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. My back hurt <laughs> after I came out of the theater because I was so like <laughs> tense. So yeah, to your point, I yeah, and yeah, the, the TV adaptation of this has a lot of that kind of dread and creepiness without going overboard on any kind of, you know, chainsaw massacre type stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, as I said, I'm not going to end it on a happy note either. We'll have to figure something out here in a minute, but oh, yeah. let's, let's go on with my last pick. This is, this is Iris Murdoch's The Bell. And um, again, another author who just always surprises me. I'm always, I almost always start one of her books a little bit skeptical that this one's going to be so good. You know, it's like, Oh, she's, she's, she's I've already read her good ones, but I'll try right. this one. And then right. I'm like, Oh, that was really good too. Um, but here we are. Dora Greenfield left her husband because she was afraid of him. She decided six months later to return to him for the same reason. The absent Paul haunting her with letters and telephone bells and imagined footsteps on the stairs had begun to be the greater torment. Dora suffered from guilt, and with guilt came fear. She decided at last that the persecution of his presence was to be preferred to the persecution of his absence. There we go. And then it gets into a little bit more about Dora and, and, you know, as as her, her youth and meeting this Paul Greenfeld and... Um, yeah, but I, again, just one of these where I read that paragraph, that's the opening paragraph in full. And I remember sitting down to read it and thinking, I almost don't care where this book goes. Mm-hmm. This is someone who's got a vision Absolutely. <laughs> and can articulate it so well that I already understand and feel sorry for this poor Dora, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what she's going through the, 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 the strength she must've had to leave. And then the, the torment of, of just that fear and that guilt uh, all in one paragraph, just really, really compelling. And again, a little bit twisted and dark and sad, but also really articulated in a way where I go, wow, that's some people's reality. Exactly. I can be a better person to people, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't see this on the surface. Usually you wonder why yeah. are they doing that? That's stupid. You know, right. why? and boy, but yeah, some people just, there, there are reasons and some people need that love and support regardless. So yeah. <laughs> there's no, my actually, happy, happiest way to, to spin. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We need it. We need to be pulled out of all the hauntings and <laughs> darkness. Um, yeah, no, that's actually the only one of her books that I've read so far. I started mm-hmm. that one and yeah, 
blew me away. It's so well done. And I look forward to reading more of hers. I think, you know, the sea, the sea is probably as far as I know, maybe the, the most well-known um, and it's and definitely people, one that's on my radar. People mock the sea, the sea quite often. Mm. I love to see the, the sea, the sea. It's mm. weird. And the character is absolutely repugnant, yeah. but Iris Murdoch is just, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I'm like, I'm not even on board with what you're saying here or your viewpoint or your philosophies or theories. I'm just enjoying the way that you're telling me the, this story and what, you know, you're, you're and, and these viewpoints and philosophies and the, the themes you're exploring. Yeah. I just, I just think she's so skilled that I'm, I'm on board with it. So absolutely no more and more. I find myself in that same boat. Like I don't even necessarily care what it's about or if I, you know, agree with what they're saying or if I you know even care about the characters, but just, in the right hands. It doesn't matter. So any honorable mentions, we don't have to read passages from that would be like cheating, but were right. there other books that you, uh, there were, I, I came up with three honorable mentions. Um, and I probably could have kept going, but I figured, so I've already mentioned these in the past too. I, so, but I'll repeat myself. So the Gorman gas books that I mentioned to you, oh, uh-huh. the first one, Titus grown has another, one of those great openings similar to maybe like, Rebecca, um, in that it's kind of describing a landscape. And in this case, it's describing the castle and the grounds surrounding it. And it just does a great job of setting the scene. It's, it's really well done. And it gives you a good taste of what Mervyn Peake's writing will be like through the rest of the trilogy. I bought um, it, by the way. Oh, again, you you're, again, directly <laughs> your, your responsibility. Um, no, but yeah, I bought it and I did read the first little bit uh, just to get a taste. And yeah, oh, I loved it. I loved it. I'm good, excited. Good. Yeah, this is going to be dangerous if we keep going. We're going to, we're bad influences on each other. Our <laughs> wives are going to be angry. Our bookshelves are already bulging. But um, so my second one again is, um, or do you want to alternate, or do you want me to go ahead and just read my? Next oh, go one? ahead and just you can okay. just go ahead and, and yeah. list them. Another one that won't shock anybody that it's on my list. Lolita. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. as far as just you know, word for word, some of the most beautiful sentences, in my opinion, maybe even written and twisted. Opening. Yeah. Oh yeah, so twisted <laughs> and just that you know, the way he's saying her name and describing how it's coming off of his mouth and everything. It's, it's creepy. It's, it shows kind of the obsession, but it's also just so beautiful, um, which mm. sums up that whole book to me. So. It's the verve, right? I mean, it's the seductive verve of someone exactly. who knows how to use language. It's yeah. yeah. And, and he, he's a showman in a lot of ways and it comes through very clearly. Like, you know, Nabokov, like when he's on his game, which is often, you know, he can do things that, nobody else probably could do. And a lot of people wouldn't even dare to try. One of the things about him that's just so amazing. He just goes for it. So, and then my third one that I thought of was another all-time favorite of mine, Lonesome Dove. Um, It starts off just talking about these two, you know, pigs that are fighting over this snake, trying to eat it. And it's, you know, the characters on the porch, just watching them and kind of making these wry comments about them. And it's just, it's funny. It's kind of, I don't know. It's just a good little light introduction to these books, but it introduces you to these really amazing characters. Um, but also just kind of some of the humor that's going to be in the book. And I don't know, it's, it's really well done too. So nice. that would be my third honorable mention. Nice. By the way, I do have to throw Dorian uh, under the bus as well, because a mm. lot of these, it's you two ganging up on me. Yeah, um, I did buy Do- Lonesome Dove as well because of you two. So, uh, <laughs> well, that one, I, I mean, I would be shocked if you don't love it. It's, it's well, I, just an amazing I, book. I loved the miniseries as a kid and as an adult. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I remember watching it as a kid and, and loving it. 
I remember watching it in college and thinking, this is so much better than I ever could appreciate. And yeah. then as an adult wondering, oh, I wonder if I'll still like this or if it was just something. Mm-hmm. No, that is a tremendous story and so well done. And I know that from, from when he died recently, Larry McMurtry mm-hmm. died, um, a lot of people brought up that, yeah, the, the miniseries is pretty darn good, but the book's where it's at. So we, yeah. we got that one too. Well, that's another one where I, you know, you saw the little like mass paperback all through the 80s and it mm-hmm. looks just kind of like, you know, in my mind, I was just like, oh, it's another Western. It's like, another one. Disparage. Yeah. yeah, but like, you know, not nothing wrong with Louis L'Amour or whatever, but I'm just like, that's kind of the category I had it in my head or maybe yeah. something like a James Missioner or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so Books when I finally populated did... my house, my dad brought home, you know, every week from the library, exactly. two or three Louis L'Amour books. And that just looked like another one. And I loved it. I loved that oh, my yeah. dad did that. It wasn't, so again, not to disparage, but it was hard to pick it out of a crowd. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. And then when I started reading it, I was like, okay, this is very different than what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I don't usually like, I mean, I get emotional when I read, but that book, had me sobbing like at least two different times while I was reading it. And that's really rare for me to actually react, you know, that emotionally to a book. So yeah, I mean, it just, it was far beyond anything that I ever expected. Huh? Uh, well, well now I don't want to give my honorable mentions because uh, we had you sobbing a second ago. And it just <laughs> seems anticlimactic. I'm recovered. I'm recovered. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so w- one that I, um, uh, that I put on my, my list as a great opening, but not a great book is London Fields by Martin Amos. Mm. Um, I love the first few paragraphs of that. This, uh, this author who's excited because he knows about a murder that's about to take place. And, you know, he's ex- going to be the one who gets the, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a great, great, very well-written, very compelling. And then I don't think that the book pays off, but mm. still one that I, I reread that opening quite often. Um, I also put the the Great Gatsby on here because I think that uh, it's it's still one of my favorite books, even though it you know is one that people I think pass off as oh it's it's just a, it's it's a it's a high school book you, you grow right. past it. But when I reread the first paragraph, I'm like man, there's there's a lot going on here with him and his dad, and um, I love it. I put Stoner on my list because I love that. Uh, the way that it begins with, with students passing a mention of his name and it not meaning a thing to them. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's well in the past and about to be forgotten. And then I put Swan's way, um, which I'm still working on. Um, I, I think I told you that I'm, I'm, I'm going through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason that I put it was a, a few years ago on, it's time to bring up the backlisted pod on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, they did an episode on, uh, on, on Proust and Andy Miller read the opening uh, paragraph to Swan's way. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love right there with the writing, yeah. with the tone, with the dreaminess, with the, the falling asleep, with the sense of thought and the interior of the mind. I, I just fell in love. And, and so I, I wasn't going to put this one on my list because I've not finished the book or not even close to that. Um, but I did want to at least bring it up as one where I've, I've already had a, a very significant um, and what I'm sure will be lifelong memory of an opening to another yeah. great book. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that's one that I should have had on my list. Cause you're right. That's a great opening. And when you mentioned that, I mean, I'm going to start repeating myself, but another one that would fit under that is Ulysses, you know, mm-hmm. stately plump bulk, bulk mulligan, you know, those just, Another one of those where from the very beginning, 
it, it captures you. So yeah, there, there's plenty more that, um, and I'm glad you mentioned Swan's Way because that one absolutely belongs on there. Well, and you're right, James Joyce. I, I thought of all three of his novels, uh, River Run, and and then um, oh, how does how does Portrait of the Artist begin with the moo cows and and all of oh, that? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I had I had those on on my mind, mm-hmm. um, but I'm glad for where we went. Uh, that's too. this has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, we we can end with uh, anything that you you want to recommend. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like. I feel like I've already recommended 30 books today. Um, I know. And you recommended the Haunting of Hill House uh, miniseries and, and Lonesome Dove. We're, uh, we're, we're rich with recommendations, but is there something that you had in mind that you wanted to kind of uh, Yeah, there push it is. Up? And I will, like you said, since I have recommended so many books today, I'll change it up a little bit. And I'll recommend a series of videos that I found on YouTube. And I kind of found it through Twitter, not surprisingly, but... Do you know Chris? I don't, actually, unfortunately, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Via or Via, V-I-A on Twitter or anywhere else. He has a series called Leaf by Leaf. And there are these really well done uh, videos and they're all based around books. So, you know, look it up on YouTube, Leaf by Leaf, Chris Via. So he does a, a bunch of different things. Sometimes he'll do individual book reviews where he's just kind of sitting there in his library talking about these different books. He'll talk about authors. Um you know, he's done William T. Volman, he's done Proust, he's done Don Quixote. But my favorites are the ones I've watched so far. He does these themed videos that are kind of similar to what we've been doing on, on this series so far as, you know, 10 big books I love. He'll do bookshelf tours where he'll just walk through his library and kind of just describe, you know, memories or thoughts about his books. He'll do books that keep defeating me or <laughs> 10 books for grazing, you know, dipping in and out of. Um, so, yeah, I mean... To be honest, he's kind of inspirational to me as far as just coming up with these cool ways of looking at books. And some of our episodes, you know, I think we could probably take a page we'll, out of his book. We'll, we'll honor him by exactly. uh, using his ideas. <laughs> exactly. And we'll give him full credit. And, and actually, yeah, I would recommend just anybody go check those out. I mean, they're just good. Some of them, I, I think they vary in length. You know, some of them are an hour, some of them are 10 or 20 minutes. But he's just a very good speaker. He's very compelling, but, you know, he's just diving in and, and just fully owning how much he loves these books. And one thing that made me really appreciate him was just, he'll hold up these big, huge, thick books, infinite jests or whatever. And it's just filled with all of this, you know, minor, uh, all these notes and all these like sticky notes sticking out of it and everything. And anybody who reads deeply like that automatically, I'm willing to just listen to him. I love that stuff. So yeah, Chris via leaf by leaf. Excellent. Well, I just, I, I just went onto YouTube on my phone and subscribed and I'm going to, I'm going to check those out. That's yeah. exciting. Really I, I do like I do like a lot of booktube. Again, I know people sometimes are like, oh, booktube. But it can be a very nice, compelling I – mean, people the same way with podcasts and literary yeah. Twitter. And, boy, I find a lot of these places to be very pleasant. To be I do too. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, my recommendation um, that I was going to throw out uh, is, is, a, another, is a movie – and it's not a Criterion movie, but hopefully someday it, it might be. And it's a uh, it's because they they have been releasing some of his movies. It's Bong Joon Ho, um, who you know famously won the Best Picture award for uh, Parasite, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a foreign language film uh, a few years ago. And boy, do I love Parasite! And that is a Criterion release. Um, they just released his debut, Memories of Murder, uh, not too long ago, a month or two ago, and. Um, 
I've I've gone through his filmography and love so much of it. I'm I'm a lesser fan of the kind of really weird ones like um, like Okja and uh, oh, what's the one that happens on a train? Can't think of the name of it right now. Has to do with ice and snow. Snowpiercer. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Uh, on the train. I, I still think those are really well done. And Okja's part where they're running through the mall. And I mean, it's just so well filmed. It's it's just fun to watch. Uh, but my favorites are the the ones that are much more grim, like like Parasite. Uh, but my all time is Mother. Um, if you haven't seen Mother, you go and watch Mother. It the the beginning and the end and everything in between is absolutely brilliant, fascinating. Just such a compelling performance um, by uh, I can't I, I, I you know I don't have her name right in front of me and mm-hmm. um, I should have looked it up to to make this recommendation, but by the mother and um, by everyone involved, honestly. But the way it begins. And then the way that it ends, it's just, I don't know. I, I could go and I could watch that show over and over and over and over again, uh, both for the filmmaking, for the acting, for the, the, the fun choices, um, for the story, um, for all of the ways that it makes me think about what we're willing to acknowledge in our lives versus what we tell stories to get away from mm-hmm. uh, memory and, and trauma and, and all of that. Uh, yes. So I'll, I'll recommend, okay. I'll, I'll go dark. I'll recommend oh. Mother by Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, I need to watch it. I've only seen Snowpiercer. I, he's another one. I just I have a lot of catching up to do, so I, I need to go figure out where that one's streaming or if I need to get it elsewhere. And It was streaming it on the Criterion channel. I don't think oh, it's right. there right now, but maybe it'll pop up again. Pop back, yeah, I've um, noticed it kind of comes and goes on there. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, different movies do. So, yeah, I'll keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, for Sounds sure. Great. If you get a chance, uh, check it out. Of course, Parasite. Yeah, I... You, I boy... Paul, I think you'd dig Parasite for I sure. I think I would too. I know. <laughs> it's all these things that I'm like, okay, I need to just yeah. take some time and just make this list. There's, there's so many great things out there to watch. After today, it's Saturday morning and you're like, uh, I've got too much to do today. I can't help with the yard. I can't exactly. clean the house. I got to go watch some movies and read. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll be busy in our room. Don't, don't look I'll, you know, <laughs> the door's locked, but it's cause I'm working really hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. Thanks to everybody. We'll be back soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time.